Lindsay and Mendes from TSN 1200. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. All right, good to go. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Jancy. Today's episode, we are going to be looking at the 1984 NHL entry draft in a segment we like to call Redraft. Now, Redraft is a segment where we look at an older draft of previous years and we apply a draft lottery. Now, the rules are very simple. How we do the lottery is that we take the top 10 teams and we randomize it. 10 for 6 would be randomized. Whatever comes out at the top gets added to 1 to 5. We randomize it from there, and we get the draft order. Now, this is a very interesting draft, 1984, because like the other drafts that we've done, like 1991 and 1993, we are talking about another draft which had a player for the sweepstakes, and this one was Mario Lemieux. Now, Mario Lemieux, of course, went to the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1984 first overall. And this is also a really great draft to talk about because a lot of Hall of Famers came out of this draft. Now, before we go on to this draft, we're going to talk a little bit about some facts. This draft took place at the Montreal Forum in 1984. This draft is noted for its unusually high number of Hockey Hall of Famers taken, especially in the later rounds. In addition to Mario Lemieux, Patrick Waugh was taken in the third round, Brad Hall in the sixth, and Luke Robitaille in the ninth. This draft also produced three consecutive Rookie of the Years with Mario Lemieux in 1985, Gary Suter in 1986, and Luke Robitaille in 1987. Now, two surprise draft picks. One was Peter Saboka, who was not expected to be available to be selecting given he trained behind the Iron Curtain, and the other was future Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Glavin that was taken by the LA Kings, 69th overall. Nice. Yeah, nice. This draft is also noted because... Somebody by the name of Troy Crosby was taken by the Montreal Canadiens 240th overall. Now, of course, everybody know who Troy Crosby's son is, Sidney Crosby. Now, Tim, we're going to be talking about this episode of Redraft. We're going to talk about the draft order. Now, the original draft order went as such. Going 10th overall, the Vancouver Canucks. 9th overall, Pittsburgh Penguins. 8th overall, Montreal Canadiens. 7th overall, Detroit Red Wings. 6th overall, Los Angeles Kings. 5th overall, the Montreal Canadiens. 4th overall, the Toronto Maple Leafs. 3rd overall, the Chicago Blackhawks. 2nd overall, the New Jersey Devils. And the first pick going to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now we got to talk about the redraft. Going 10th overall, dropping 7 spots, the Detroit Red Wings. Going 9th, staying at number 9, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Going 8th overall, moving up 2 slots, the Vancouver Canucks. Going 7th overall, dropping 1 slot, the Los Angeles Kings. Going 6th overall, dropping 2 slots, the Toronto Maple Leafs. The biggest shock of them all. Going 5th overall, dropping 4 spots, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Going 4th overall, dropping 2 slots, the New Jersey Devils. Drafting 3rd overall, moving up 2 slots, the Montreal Canadiens. And with the first pick in the 1984 NHL redraft, moving up 2 slots, the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, 
I know this is jumping the gun here because we know who Chicago takes first overall. Is Doc Emmerich still allowed on NBC now that he hasn't played for one of their two favorite teams? Sorry, not Doc Emmerich. Uh, Eddie Olchek. Well, that's a very much a hindsight thing because, honestly, NBC didn't own the NHL rights at the time. Yes. Was that... When did he end up... When did... Sorry, no. Ed Olchek as commentator in the future. That's a good point. I don't know, actually. To if he awesome. played his career in Montreal, would he be allowed on NBC? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question, Tim. So let's start this 1984 NHL redraft off with the first pick. The Chicago Blackhawks select Mario Lemieux. Okay, look, I don't know what you want me to say. It, it's Mario Lemieux. Do I really need to talk about Mo Barry Lemieux did this, that, the next thing? But for those who need to know a little bit about Mario Lemieux, here's the bullet points. These are some of the things that he won in his career. Calder Trophy, six Art Ross, three Hart Trophies, four Lester B., Five Stanley Cups, two as a player, three as an owner. Back-to-back -back Consmite trophies in 1991 and 1992. An Olympic gold medal in 2002. The 1987 Canada Cup. The 2004 World Cup of Hockey. And a bronze medal in the 1983 World Junior Hockey Championships. Mario Lemieux also holds many records in the NHL, but some of the most noted is that he's the only player to score five goals in five different ways. Even strength, power play, shorthanded, penalty shot, and empty net. And also, he's also the only player to come close to 200 points in the season when he recorded 199 in the 88-89 season. But I think of all of them, the one record for me that really stands out, Tim, mm -hmm. is his record for most points in the season in the QMH-JHL. That 200. 200. In 82. 82. Let's see Gretzky do that. Gretzky didn't even... I don't even think he played a full season in the OHL. Because huh. he went off to play in the WHA. That is correct. But... No, if if Lemieux had a, a career even close to the length of Gretzky, I wouldn't be surprised if he if Lemieux would have surpassed him. And you know what? That's something that's very interesting to bring because, of course, Mario Lemieux's career was injury riddled. He suffered from a spinal disc herniation, chronic tendonitis of a hip flexor muscle, chronic back pain so severe he couldn't tie his own skates, and most notably, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, in 1983. Now, the funny thing is that he missed 22 games in the season, and he still won the heart and the scoring title that year. He also retired in 1987 the first time, was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame the same year, waiving the three-year waiting period, became the majority owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1999, made a comeback in 2000, and almost won the scoring title in 2003 at age 37. Like, the guy's point totals, his athletic skill, it's unreal. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that you look at his career and you look at all the points he scored, there's no question that he would have passed Wayne Gretzky well, the other, if he had stayed healthy. And the other insane thing is, unlike Gretzky, who has a hugely inflated assist total, mm -hmm. Mario's doing this on goals. Well, and also and all the things that a lot of people don't realize, and there's always been the argument, who is better, Mario or Wayne? And I've always been a big believer, to me personally, Mario Lemieux is the greatest. Now, yeah. No disrespect to Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr's the greatest. But you know what? You look at Mario Lemieux. He, look at everything he did. You know, 198 points. He won all those heart trophies, all those scoring tests. He did that without much talent around him. Wayne Gretzky did not have that. Wayne Gretzky had 
Glenn Anderson, Mark Messier, Yari Curry, Paul Coffey. In fairness, Mario Lemieux also had Paul Coffey. But you look at all the talent Wayne had around him. Mario had Gogger. That's it. In the later years. Mm-hmm. He had him. He had Kevin Stevens. He had Ron and Francis. He had... Peter Nedved. D- does Kovalev count? When Kovalev wanted to play. <laughs> when Kovalev wanted to play. But even like Alex Kovalev in Pittsburgh, him and Mario weren't really teammates very yeah. long. A couple of seasons at that. Mm-hmm. So it's like Mario never had the talent. And then like who was coaching in Pittsburgh because Wayne Gretzky had Glenn Saylor. Yep. But the thing is, is like... Marlon Lemieux had many head coaches. He had Eddie Johnston, uh, the late Badger Bob Johnson, and most notably Scotty Bowman. Mm-hmm. So you, so he, did, it wasn't like he had scrub head coaches. For sure, for sure. But one thing actually, and this is something I was thinking about when I was redoing the draft here, with Marlon Lemieux going to the Chicago Blackhawks, I legit believe if he had gone there in 1984, in 2019... The city of Chicago, not Boston, would have been known as the sports city in the United States. Well, because Mario Lemieux was taken by the Blackhawks that same year in the 1984 NBA draft, the Chicago Bulls selected Michael Jordan. Yeah, and you've got a hockey powerhouse, a basketball powerhouse. The, the Bears. Bears won their most recent yep. Super Bowl. And then you have the White Sox win a, ba- a pennant somewhere in there. Although I think that Boston still becomes the sports city of the 2000s and 2010s. For sure. But the thing is, is that looking back at it, I think because with Mario Lemieux in Chicago, I legit believe he would have won a couple of Stanley Cups with the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the talent that they later built in the late 80s when they brought in Steve Larmer, Jeremy Roenick, Chris Chelios. They brought guys like that in. Imagine if they were playing alongside Mario Lemieux. It'd be fucking nuts. Oh yeah, it'd be lights out. Like there would be no question that would be the team to beat of the nineteen nineties. Well, were the Penguins really the Titans of the nineties? Early nineties, I would yeah. say. Yeah, because like they won back to back in ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, they were the best team in the National Hockey League. But they got knocked off by the upstart New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. And then post that, Mario Lemieux suffered from Hodgkin's disease. He had his back injuries. The team didn't really get back to those heights. The Detroit Red Wings came in. You had and they the, one, the one year of the Washington Capitals. The Capitals. You the had net Devils. detective. Yep, you had all those guys there. But yeah, Pittsburgh just sort of took a back seat to those teams in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Yes, they still had Murray Lemieux, Yarry Yager, 95-96, who both dominated. Like, you go back and look at Yarmer Yager and Mario Lemieux, they both had over 130 points. Well, each. like, in a season where he plays 70 games, he gets 161 points. Yeah. What the fuck is that? That's, that's insanity. It is insanity. Now, a couple of redraft notes I do want to make for this pick. And we were talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. The Chicago Blackhawks could have had a pretty decent draft in this outside of Mario Lemieux. Because they could have landed Patrick Waugh in the third round at four, pick number 45 instead of Trent Yanni. Or they could have gone to the fifth round and drafted Kurt McLean, 101st overall. But the thing is, is that Patrick Waugh didn't take as long to develop as Kurt McLean did. Because mm-hmm. Kurt McLean took a couple of years to really develop in the National Hockey League. Yeah, but otherwise, like, goalies are voodoo, so you can't blame the team at the time. Mm-hmm. 
I think the Blackhawks actually, given where they historically drafted, they didn't do a bad job. Like pulling in uh, Trent Yanni and Tom Eric. Well, Tom Erickson was a mess. Yeah. yeah, it was like, like really in '84. I mean, they ended up with. Who the hell did they end up with? I think Mike Stapleton they got 700 games out of. That's not bad. Yeah, so they would have ended up with what? Um, I don't know. Ojek and whoever. Yeah. Uh, Trent Yanni they got 600 games out of. But they traded a lot. They traded around a lot. Mm-hmm. That draft and missed a bit. But otherwise, not the worst. For sure. With the second pick, the Montreal Canadiens select... Kirk Muller. Now, of course, in the 1984 draft, Kirk Muller went second over to the New Jersey Devils. For me, this is a new no-brainer at number two. As Kirk Muller was the consolation prize to Mario Lemieux, he was a heart and soul two-way player who can put up points. I personally feel he would have made the lineup at 18 years old because if you look at the Montreal Canadiens of the 84-85 season, center was a real weakness for the Habs outside of Bobby Smith and a guy by the name of Guy Carboneau, who I still don't fucking like. He is not a Hall of Famer. No, he's not. He would have became a fan of Famer instantly, as he did when he actually played for the Montreal Canadiens for three and a half seasons years later. A couple of redraft notes. Instead of drafting Jim Nish at 116, they could have taken Brett Hall, who was selected after him in the sixth round. They could have either taken Yuri Herdina, former Pittsburgh Penguin, or Don Sweeney in the eighth round. And they also could have traded up in the ninth round. And now this would have been a good one. They could have traded up in the ninth to select Luke Robitaille or took Gary Suter, 179th overall. Suter went 180 yeah. to Calgary. That's that's kind of the hard thing with uh, these ones where they could have traded up. There's probably a reason they didn't. Yeah, you know, of course, as we've said in these previous redraft episodes, this is all hindsight. Yeah. You know, of course, hindsight would dictate that, yes, they could have gotten Don Sweeney. They could have got Luke Robitaille. They could have got Gary Suter. But they didn't. They didn't, yeah. So there's probably a... They must have thought something else. I think there's a few cases where we shift some... The interesting hindsight choices. we shifted someone around. Like when I suggested that Ottawa takes uh, Paul Correa over whoever the hell was third in 1992. Oh, 93? That would have been... Uh, Chris Cratton. Chris Cratton, yeah. But, like, yeah, it's, it's interesting that these teams have so close, but so far, right? Yeah, and that's the thing, and I know we, were, you and I were talking about that when we did the 93 draft. Now, of course, we weren't giving our actual opinion on who we would have selected in those picks. Mm-hmm. We were just going, who would have gone to yeah, what yeah, team? Yeah. And that's the basis. And then once we did the 91 draft and we did other drafts like that, that's when we finally had a concrete idea of what mm-hmm. we were going to do. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think that's all we have for Kirk Muller. Yeah, so we're going to move on to the third pick. The Montreal Canadiens have another their back-to-back pick. Now, with the third pick, the Montreal Canadiens select Peter Saboka. Now, with the third pick in 1984, Eddie Olchek went to the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, this would have been a surprise pick at number three, given that, as we said at the top of the episode, Peter Saboka, a lot of people did not realize he was available. Because he had trained behind the Iron Curtain, and if you remember back in the 1980s, 1990s, a lot of players were not allowed to come over. And Must you crush saw, capitalism. Very much so. Like, you saw that uh, Vladimir Fatisov 
and Vladimir Kozlov, guys like this were not allowed to come over and play in the National Hockey League right away. And that's when, in the late 80s, a lot of the Russian superstars of the time were already washed up by the time they got to the National Hockey League. Now, by the late 80s, early 90s, that's when you saw Alexander McGillney, Sergei Fedorov, Pavel Burry. You saw these guys, uh, Alexei Kovalev, as we are mentioning. All these guys started coming over, and they became stars in the National Hockey League. And that's because they, a lot of them either deflected, or by the time they were drafted, the Iron Curtain had fallen. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that they were able to bring this guy from Czechoslovakia over. And do you know the exact reason why they were able to do this? <coughs> Excuse me. I No, I might be wrong in here, but I believe it was because he had played a certain amount of international games. Okay. And not just Red Army shit. Yes. And it's because if I'm not mis- if I'm not mistaken, I think Pat Alberry did the exact same thing with the Canucks. Yeah. Is that they found a loophole where the, he had played a certain amount of games that made him eligible to be drafted. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a very interesting thing. Go like, and it's really nice that we have that discussion about how our idea of redraft changes. Sub segueing right into this pick, because I I agree with you. If that's the case, that Montreal was smart enough to pull this guy, he doesn't get drafted until the second round. Because the other teams don't realize that he can be drafted. Yeah. And Savoka had a long career, too. He does, but the thing is that the Montreal Canadiens were expecting him to be this offensive juggernaut, which he really didn't. And if you look at his stats, outside of his rookie season... Not a lot. He didn't really put up a lot. Now, of course, there is the argument with this pick that they could have selected Elias Frady. And Elias Frady was also a left-shot defenseman... He could have been the successor to Larry Robertson. And I think maybe that's what they were thinking about Peterson Boca, is that he could be the, that guy to replace him. Um, I do see, as Savoca did, making the starting lineup at 18 behind Larry Robertson on the left D. Doesn't become the offensive starter that was expected, but did have a long career. The only redraft note about this, and you and I were talking about this as we were saying on the way over, is that the Montreal Canadiens win big in this draft. Because they have the second or third pick, so you would have landed Kirk Muller, Peter Saboka, Patrick Waugh in the third round, and Stefan Richier in the fourth round. Well, it's like any draft where you have two top ten picks, you have to be pretty fucking dumb to screw that up. For sure. And that's the number that's the great thing about this, is that you know, as I said, like they could have taken Ally Freddy, but the Montreal Canadiens were really high on Saboka. Mm. So that's why they would have taken him over Ally Afraidy. Oh, it's like Ally Afraidy. It's interesting because, like, the skill level wasn't that much different. Well, yes. But he had a shorter career. It, yeah, and that's the thing. But I think if you look at his overall numbers... More goals, for sure. He put up a lot more points, and he was a bigger, powerful player that maybe the Montreal Canadiens... There's an argument. He could have been a perfect fit for the Habs in the late 80s, going up against the Boston Bruins in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Especially in 88, when they got knocked off in five games. Yeah, and the Toronto team he was stuck on was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they had some solid players, like Gary Lehman, Wendell Clark later came over. But, yeah, just nothing really happened. Well, that was, like, the darkest period of the Harold Bollard years. Yeah, and we know a thing or two of that being center yeah. fans right now, eh? Well, I mean, we don't have a football team logo at center ice right now, so maybe we don't know all that much. Fair enough, fair enough. 
We're going to move on to the fourth pick. With the fourth pick, the New Jersey Devils select Al Ifridi. Now, Al Ifridi went fourth overall to the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is an easy selection to make at number four, as Al Ifridi would give the New Jersey Devils a big offensive defenseman who can skate and score and hit. He would easily make the, the Devils in the 84-85, as if you look at the Devils of that year, they had nobody. They were garbage. You thought the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1984 was bad? You haven't seen. They had nothing. On fucking Jersey. They had nothing. This is like the pre Lou Lamorello years of the Devils. Like, this was bad. Their best player was Mel Bridgman at 61 points. Noted, by the way, because we're Ottawa Senators fans, very first uh, GM of the Ottawa Senators. Nice. And also, former resident of Victoria, BC. I feel so bad that he was stuck on that fucking team. I know, it was terrible. Now, as we were talking about with LA Freddy, he does suffer from a chronic back injury that forces him into retirement. A couple of redraft notes. Now, of course, this is all hindsight stuff. The Devils could have taken Cliff Ronning in the seventh round by passing on Ian Ferguson at 128th. Or... And also, they could have landed Luke Rookside passing on Mike Roth. Mm-hmm. Which probably makes New Jersey a lot better right away. But the thing is, is that Cliff Ronning and Robitaille, if I'm not mistaken, they I don't think take the bit, NHL yeah. right away. They, they take a couple of years, because they were smaller guys. Right. right. They were smaller guys that came into the NHL. But I think if they came in, say, 87, 88, you would have had better players around him. Like, you would have had uh, Batiste off coming over for, to play for the Devils. And then if you wait until the late 80s, early 90s, you could have had, you know, Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, Claude Lemieux, mm. Stefan Richer, Peter Stasny. Like, you would have had really solid players coming over to the play for the Devils. Well, the hard thing with... And, yes, yeah. I realize my dogs are howling. Do not bother pointing that out. But, uh... Yes, I'm leaving that in the episode. Yeah, leaving it in. Okay. So I think the hard thing with the the, the Devils is uh, they don't actually have a strong winning season until 88. And then, but then they go pretty far in that 87-88 season. Yeah, because they almost go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. And that's the weird thing with those Devils teams is they don't get to a 41 season until the Lou Lamorello years. Yeah, and that's when they finally have stability. They have a guy who has a plan and wants to actually build this team into a winner, which they were able to do. Yeah. All right, moving on. Moving on to the fifth pick. With the fifth pick, the Pittsburgh Penguins select Doug Bodger. Now, with the fifth overall, as we're saying, the Montreal Canadiens took Peter Saboka. With Pittsburgh trying to tank and failing to land Mario, they do decide to pick Doug Bodger, who they did take ninth overall in 84 as Doug Bodger could replace Randy Carlisle, who had been traded in the 84 season in their efforts to tank. Now, Bodger would have made the lineup at 18, giving the Penguins a great piece to build around. Unfortunately, because they lost on a Mario Lemieux, long-term, this hurts the Penguins. Because now they don't have a superstar franchise, once-in-a-generation talent to market. And they fell hard. Like, they were in pretty much in bankruptcy by the time the 84 season came along. Yeah. I Do you think Pittsburgh moves if they don't get Lemieux? Yes, because the franchise was in such 
despair. The fans were not coming. They were playing in an arena that averaged 7,000 fans a game. Yeah. What city do you think, where the hell would they have ended up? Because the Southern, the NHL Southern expansion hadn't quite started yet. Yeah, I mean, there's a few teams you could argue. I mean, you could argue Hamilton, because Hamilton wanted an NHL franchise in the 80s. They had built the Cops Coliseum. And I Maybe Ottawa. I think 86, 87. Ottawa could have been a potential pick. You could have put a team in, say, Saskatchewan. Because they tried to move the St. Louis Blues there in the early 80s. Uh, Kansas City, you could have moved a team there. No, you couldn't have. But the thing is, is that... We all... The scouts had been tried, and they failed. Badly. Yeah, and the Atlanta (laughs) Flames had been tried and failed, but they still tried to put a team there in Atlanta. They never learn. No, you know, you, you gotta give them props and efforts, though. Mm-hmm. But would you send another shit team to Kansas City? Remember, the Scouts were a team that had 12 wins over two seasons? Like, something abhorrent like that before they became Colorado... They became the Rockies. They became the Rockies, that, which then became the Devils. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, I think they probably would have moved to Canada, but... I often question which market in the United States. Uh, you could see, like I said, Kansas City, because years later, Kansas City was the team rumored to get the Penguins mm-hmm. with Mario Lemieux as the owner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Doug Bodger for being from Shemanis? pretty local to us. Yeah, just up the road, probably 15 minutes away. Actually, it's funny, I still I see him like occasionally at the gym here in Duncan. Really? Because his daughter works out there every now and then. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, I know that... Uh, for he, every so often, he'd come out and skate around with Duncan Minor Hockey. Yep. So, Doug Bodger is still in the community. He's a really good guy. Yeah, so, and he's also one of the assistant coaches for the junior team, Victoria Royals. Nice. Yeah, so I really don't have any redraft notes because the Pittsburgh Penguins really had no draft picks in 1984. <laughs> If you really look at their draft, it's like you had Mario, you had one other guy, and that's it. That was their draft class in 1984. Did they just trade all their picks? Yeah, pretty much. To Philadelphia? I think so. I think they just got rid of all the picks. Fucking hell. Yeah, they don't have one of their own picks until round four. Fuck. Like, how is that even possible? That's what I want to know. Oh, I'd have to go back and find... Yeah. And then they take two nobodies in round four and five, and then Edmonton has their pick in round six. Like, how? Fucking Pittsburgh, man. Fucking Pittsburgh is exactly it. Like, this team was a shit show. But in round ten, they did draft a guy called Steve Hurt, which their team was doing. Yep. He was the, uh, he was the uh, conductor of the pain train. Yeah, nominal determinism is a thing. Absolutely. Let's move on to the sixth pick. With the sixth pick, the Toronto Maple Leafs select Eddie Olchek. Now, Craig Edmond was taken sixth overall in the 1984 draft, I believe, by the Los Angeles Kings. In retrospect, it would have been a really solid pick for the Leafs, given that the draft previous, they had selected Russ Cornell, and they still had Rick Vive on right wing. Now, there is a debate whether they maybe could have taken Shane Corson over him because Shane Corson 
seemed to have a better junior career. And maybe he brought more to the table than Eddie Olchek does. But I feel that with Eddie Olchek making the lease, he would be paired with Cortnall and Vibe on the first line, and which would have brought them a young, legit scoring winger to the team, which only would have gotten bolstered when Wendell Clark arrived mm-hmm. in 1985. And Olchek is a player that the Leafs obviously wanted because they end up trading for him in reality anyway. Yep. So this seems like a no-brainer for the Leafs. So, as we were saying, I don't have any draft, redraft notes, to be honest with you, because I was looking at the picks. Todd Gill is probably one of the best guys they could have gotten in the second round. Yeah, who played on the 93 team, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Mm-hmm. And then, they're another team that just yellowed the draft picks. Yeah, yeah, the Leafs of the 80s were not very good at drafting. They got a guy named Fabian, though. That is true, actually. That was, the Leafs <laughs> did get a, Fab- a Fabian. Or is it Fabian? Might have been Fabian. And they got the wrong McKinnis. I know. But you know what? You could look at other teams, right? That says, oh, you got the wrong stall. Or you the got wrong the wrong Gretzky. The wrong Gretzky. <laughs> Wait, that was also Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. But yeah, it's other. they did all right in the first two rounds. And then, eh. But it's, it's the Ballard Leafs. Yeah. Embarrassing it is. Let's move on to the seventh pick. The Los Angeles Kings select Craig Edmond. Now, Sean Burr was taken seventh overall. Now, despite the temptation of taking Shane Corson at number seven, the Kings feel that defense is a bigger need for them as they already had Bernie Nichols on the left side. Now, Redmond did have a junior, a solid year with the University of Denver, scoring 54 points in 34 games and then later recording 23 points in 62 games for the Canadian national team. His game never translated to the pros, as his first season in the NHL was his best with 39 points in 79 games. The only redraft note I have is that in the second round at number 24, they could have landed either Stefan Richer or Scott Mellenby. Yeah, and it would have been a lot better than the Brian Wilkes that they take. 48, half a season. And in, I think in the the second round of the 80s where you're only there's you're getting to pick 42 is the end of the second round you need to be making better picks yeah so losing in the second round at the upper end of the second round is unacceptable yeah because in, in the 1980s obviously analytics was not really a thing they didn't have the information that we have nowadays but there's also fewer teams true <laughs> but the thing is is that they, they don't have the information and their their methods of scouting was not as high. Mm-hmm. So really, you can go into these drafts and be like, I'm picking this guy because he's six foot five, And that's it. Like, did they not have the combine and shit like that? Not really, no, to be perfectly honest with you. I, yeah, I guess this was back in the day when they had beer fridges in the locker room. Yeah, and you were allowed to smoke in the dressing room as well. Yeah. So, yeah, they barely even had any of the sports science, let alone the statistics and analytics. Yeah. So that's why when you go back and you see a bunch of nobodies taking in the later rounds, it's like, well, what the hell is going on? Like, don't could you see that this guy was better than this guy? Yeah. But then again, with all of our modern sports health and shit, there's still some boneheaded moves made. Dylan McIlrath. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so no real redraft notes there. No, other than Richie and Mellenby at 
in the second round? No, not really. I think we should just go into the eighth pick. Yeah, yeah. Because the with the eighth pick, the Vancouver Canucks select Shane Corson. Now, Shane Corson was also sit, selected eighth overall in the 1984 pick. Now, this is a solid pickup for the Canucks as they really lacked a really good left winger to complement Darcy Rhoda. And I feel that if they'd taken Corson, he would have most likely made the team at 18 years old playing on the second line with Thomas Grudin and Stan Smeal. The only redraft note I have of this is that they could have picked up a player who actually played on the 94 Canucks, defenseman Jeff Brown, in the second round. Yeah, they end up getting him anyway. So, all's well that ends well. And an interesting thing is, like, we have, like, Shane Corson, Sean Burr is taken ahead of him. And I wonder if it's just one of those 80s, we don't know what the hell we're doing sort of things. I think because Sean Burr, and we'll talk about it here with the next pick, is that Sean Burr, I think at the time, if you look at, he only played one year of junior hockey, mm. where he had like 80 points or whatever it was. So teams probably thought that Sean Burr brought more to the table than Shane Corson did. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was a factor, maybe it was a thing of, you know, the finished product over the bigger potential, right? True, true, true. But then again, it's not like Shane Burr had a bad career. No, he didn't. No. Yeah, let's talk about him. With the ninth... Actually... No, I actually got... Other than the Jeff Brown, I got nothing for the Canucks. With the ninth pick, the Pittsburgh Penguins select Sean Burr. Now, of course, with the ninth pick, the Penguins would have picked Doug Bodger with this pick. A solid pickup for the Penguins, who had already selected Bodger earlier, so they didn't have a need for another defenseman, so they went with a forward... Sean Burr was a big body who could play physical and score. He would have fit on the Penguins alongside Mike Bullard, who potted 50 goals in the 83-84 season. The only redraft note I have... Now, this is a hot take. They could have passed on Sean Burr at ninth in taking Gary Roberts, who went number 12. Yeah. Like, I think it's only a hot, hot take because it's hindsight. And Gary Roberts does eventually find his way to the Penguins. Yeah, he played on the... Did he play on the 09 team or the 08 team? He won a Stanley Cup with the middle... Sorry, no, he played on the 09. Yeah, he played on the 08 team. So he won a goddamn cup with the Penguins. No, they won the cup in 09. Right. The Red Wings won it. The Red Wings won it. Yeah, but by then, he had no gas left in the tank. Because he was playing like 30 games a season. Yeah. And now we come to the 10th and final pick. The Detroit Red Wings select... J.J. Dundonow, that they also, now, with the 10th pick, the Vancouver Canucks actually took J.J. Dundonow. Now, with the talent the Red Wings have up front, like Steve Eisenman, the Red Wings felt like they should be trying to land a big-time left-handed defenseman who would have been a perfect fit for their hot-shot, right-shot defenseman, Reed Larson. Now, despite 84 game, or despite 84 points in his draft year, his offensive skills don't really translate into the NHL, and he becomes more of a journeyman throughout his career. Yeah, especially... Especially after he leaves Montreal in the 94-95 season. He's, sorry, 95-96, where he bounces between St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Anaheim, New York, Nashville, Phoenix, and Minnesota. Eventually ending in the now-defunct IHL. So, not exactly a storied career. And, yeah, it's just one of those players that looked like he could play. Even played for a Canadian national team, then just never really went anywhere. Absolutely, man. Now, like we've done with these other redraft episodes, we should probably talk a little bit about who was actually drafted post the 10th pick. And now we're going to talk about 
as we said, going number 12 to the Calgary Flames, Gary Roberts. Now, Gary Roberts actually had a pretty solid career. He did have a back injury that forced him into retirement for the 95-96 season. He did come back, and he continued his career. He was on the Leaf teams that killed the Senators. Yep. He almost won a Stanley Cup with the Penguins. Yep. On a pe- on the Penguins teams that killed the Senators. He just missed that 1,000-point mark, though. He did. But overall, Gary Roberts had a very good career. Now, the only other noted player to be taken in the later first round, going number 72 to the Washington Capitals, defenseman Kevin Hatcher. Yeah, and anytime a defenseman racks up over 500 points, there's something interesting going on there. And uh, the guy had a long storied career, almost all of it with the Caps, although he did bounce around a bit at the end of his career. Overall, pretty solid. For sure. And even looking at the other rounds, like uh, Craig Billington, who went to the Devils in the second, Scott Mellonby to the Flyers, Richet to the Habs, Jeff Brown to the Quebec Nordique, uh, Patrick Watt to the Montreal Canadiens, like I said. But yeah, the, you look at these draft picks, and a lot of them, you're like, wow, like I remember that guy, or I remember this guy, and this guy went there. Wow, that's crazy. To, well, what's to nuts is how many 1,000 game plus there is here. And also... Current Ottawa Senators assistant coach Jack Camelano taken by the Toronto Maple Leafs, 80th overall. No wonder fucking Eugene Mellick hired him. He's he's a, lo- oh, he's he, from the fucking Leafs. He's a Leafs draft pick. Oh, he played six fucking games. Still counts. Still counts. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing just how many players play like fucking Brett Hull in yeah. the sixth round. Like how many of these players played over a thousand games? Cliff Ronning. Uh, Darcy Wacklock, still the best name in ho- one of the best names in hockey. Don Sweeney. Is this the same Don Sweeney as Boston's yep. GM? Uh, Yuri Herdina. I did not know that Don Sweeney was a former longtime Bruin. Yeah, he played his whole career except for his last year in Dallas. Yeah, that's actually pretty funny. And uh, a player by the name of Billy Powers, 184th overall for the Flyers. Uh, Gary Suter, 180th to the Flames. Actually, Calgary doesn't end up too bad in that draft with him and Roberts. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a lot of very, people who had very, like, exceptionally long careers. And we're not even naming the people who had like eight, 700, 800 games. Yeah. Like, this is probably one of the stronger NHL drafts. For sure. And also, and not just including the fact that Troy Crosby, 240th overall to the house. Star player. Really well known. Superstar. I think we should end the episode on that, man, because I don't know if we can be topping Troy Crosby's career, Tim. Someone might argue that. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe one day if we can actually do a redraft episode on that particular draft, we can talk about the other Crosby. Yeah. Fuck, do you want to get, like, one of those bingo machines and just go, like... That would be an awesome prop. <laughs> I think we'd need to videotape it. That would be perfect. Yeah, if we could do that and just... And we'd have to wear, like, Anchorman suits. Yes, we would. Like, not nice suits. Anchorman suits. Anchorman suits. Now, Tim, I might be wrong, but I believe that diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era, if I'm not mistaken. Ron, I don't think the network is looking for a boat. (laughs) Brick, where'd you get a hand grenade? I don't know. I stabbed a man. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Yeah, you might want to lay low for a while. I know a guy. Alrighty. Well, 
I think we're off the rails now. Yep, I think the only thing we can do now is to head off into the close, right, Tim? Yep. Okay, guys, first of all, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording that for you. If you guys on iTunes, please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bod Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at thirdlineplug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m91honeybadger and I'm at greatwhitegipster, g-r-8-w-a-t-e-gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about our episode of the 1984 NHL redraft, choose an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Now, Tim, this is the part of the episode where I would say I'm your host, Taylor Gibson, and this is Tim Jensey, but this officially ends our off-season episodes before season three. Holy shit. I can't believe we were almost there. I know. It's hard to believe it, because I guess the next episode that would be coming up after this would be our 2019-2020 Ottawa Senator Storylines episode, also known our preseason episode. Yeah. It's I think that one's going to... It's going to be fun. It's going to be tough. Yeah, it's going to give us a lot of talking points heading into the season. Yeah. Ooh. Do you think we could do, like, some sort of over-under bet on what Ottawa's actual salary is going to be at the end of the season? I think if we can actually think about it come time of the episode, we can actually probably do that. Do you think Jake Gardner will be signed by then? Do you think any of those RFAs would be signed by then? There's a lot of them still out there. Like, Line A's still not signed. Marner's not signed. Basser's not signed. What fucking Reckon- Pandora's box uh, did? Nico Rantanen in Colorado is still not signed. Colin White's still not signed. What fucking Pandora's box did uh, Nylander Dubas open last season? Like, we haven't seen a holdout like this, and the only thing that's really changed is the Nylander holdout. Because Nylander went right to the I will I can't play for the rest of the season deadline. They looked over the edge, said, nope, and signed. Yeah. But I think that holdout has changed a lot. I would like to see what Smugfuck Dubas does this time with Mitch Marner, given they only have, what, $7 million in cap space? Unless they trade? But the thing is, is if, if it gets to, if it gets to, I can't remember if it's training camp or start of season, there is a, there's some weird cal, ah, oh, fuck, I don't even remember how it works. But there's this weird calculation and S and proration thing that happens that means that uh, they have to pay a certain thing and there's this cap thing that I don't think they can use uh, the LTIR money to cover it. Right. Yeah, so, like, if I was a Leafs fan, if they don't get it, I think they'll get it done. But if they don't get it done by training camp, I'd be worried. Is where I'm looking at this from. I'm not gonna lie, man. Like, if... Hypothetically, if Mitch Marner were to say come to Ottawa, we we would make him a god. I guess the I mean, only... he's already a friend of the show. I mean, yeah. it would make sense. Yeah, I guess like my only worry is how much of that was him and how much of that was Tavares, and he was also kind of shooting the nuts. So like when people say that he's not worth as much as Austin Matthews, I get it. I just like stirring the pot. Yeah, pay him the money. Give him the money. <laughs> yes, give a third. Give a third of your cap hit to two players. Give them the money. <laughs> well, Tim, I guess that wraps up our off-season episodes, man. Yeah. Now, hopefully, there may or may not be an interview. Mm-hmm. We'll give that person's name out. You're teasing this real hard. Well, you never know. The interview might have already been done by this time. 
until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. Keep it. So long, my time here is up. They're going home!